Okay, everyone, welcome to the What's New with Seeing AI. And I am going to give the CEU codes for those who need it. And it is 2569F as in Foxtrot. Again, 2569F as in Foxtrot. And I am Donna Brown, and I will be your Zoom host. And I'm going to turn it over to our Microsoft friends and let them introduce themselves. Hi, and thank you very much. My name is Sakib Sheikh, and I'm the lead for the Microsoft Seeing AI project. Now, if you haven't heard about this, it's a research project and also a mobile app which can describe the world around you. It can describe people, text, and objects, but much more about that in a moment. I'm really excited to be here at the ACP convention virtually online. Coming to summer conventions is one of my favorite times of the year. I really would have just enjoyed walking the hallways, meeting the people, just having those impromptu discussions about meeting users and, hey, how are you using Seeing AI? What do you find useful? And we're going to have a Q&A later on, we're going to keep the prepared part of this relatively short, definitely not the full hour and a bit. But then we also want to set up some sessions afterwards so that we can hear more of you. You can always email us and more details to come. Welcome also to those of you listening in on ACB Radio Mainstream. I was very excited to hear that this is being streamed over the internet because I first started listening to ACB Radio Mainstream, wow, in about 2001, I think it was, 2002, something around that. So it's kind of cool being some part of my life for, for many years. So welcome to you too. So with the Seeing AI project, we're really looking at how do we take the latest advancements in technology and talk to all of the blind community and bring these things together to develop an app which can help with everyday life. And as I mentioned, a key part of this is learning how you will use the app and what you would find useful. I'll go into details on Seeing AI in just a moment but before we do that, let's hear from one of our users in the UK about how seeing AI is an integral part of his everyday. I'm sorry. I just got a message that they're not, that they are not actually hearing the video on Zoom. So if you are, um, listening on Zoom, you might want to start, um, something that will play ACB radio mainstream real quick because the video is going to come through there. But, um, we didn't know we had it. And so we, uh, it's not coming through Zoom uh, for some people, apparently. I'm sorry to interrupt. No worries. Let's get that sorted. I'll just leave a moment if people are opening and then play in a few seconds. Yeah, just while we're waiting. This is Michaela. Hello, Michaela. Hello. <laughs> Pleasure to meet hey, Michaela. you. <laughs> yeah, Michaela is a member of our team. Uh, she's a software engineer, uh, one of the great people writing the iOS app. Right, I will hit play on the video and hopefully it'll it'll come through for everybody now. And if not, it's only about um, three minutes. So if something's not working, then we will be back with just audio and in that amount of time. For the taking, what you put in is what you'll get out. Two things important to me in life are family and music. They both play a huge part in my life. Technology allows me to be my own one-man band. I try to be as independent as I can, and uh, the way that I do that mostly is uh, with low-tech, which is a white cane, 
and high-tech, which is a phone. Seeing AI. Seeing AI is one of the biggest deals in technology, I think, at the moment for visually impaired users. It's an app that you can read almost anything, anywhere, with it. Kilburn High Road. Fashion. Workspace. Mayonnaise. It has a multitude of functions, and they all work together to produce something that you can use whenever you need it. It might even be considered to be a Swiss army knife of apps. Of all the parts of seeing AI, I really do think short text is the biggest of the game changers. Northwest 6. Because I've never seen anything like that in any other app before. And I like being in the back of cabs or in buses and pointing it out the window and seeing what I pass on the way to places. Mobile phone NC 4000 services. One of the greatest things about short text for me is that if there's no one else in the house, I can sort the post into who's who. This is Kaylee. Mrs. Kirsten Louis. So I don't open my wife's post and she doesn't get cross with me. Back on. Oh, voilà, Andre. My man, Alex. Good. One, one, £20. That's really cool. Currency is a very useful channel because sometimes it's very difficult to know what notes actually are. So with currency, I can detect that straight away. £5. Job done. 2025. Well done. Scene preview. Scene is actually really cool. It's quite descriptive, really. Processing. A store filled with lots of different types of fruit. But I think that's pretty amazing. Terrific. In my view, one of the best parts of seeing AI is the ability to read pictures from social media. Because so many times, someone will send me a picture of something that I cannot understand. So I will share that picture to seeing AI. Scene. Probably a group of people sitting on a bench in a park. And then I'll get a description of what it is. Person. Eight-year-old boy with black hair looking happy. Seven-year-old girl with brown hair looking disgusted. And it's changed how I can view social media. It feels like I can participate. Like, reply. Far more than I could before. Thank you for sharing. Handwriting preview. With Handwriting Channel, I was actually able to read a card from a family member last year. That's the first time I'd actually been able to do that without help. Dear Dad. Alex works. We can tell if Jake's been writing well, if the handwriting tab can recognize it. That's good proof, really. We love you, Daddy. X, 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 X. <laughs> We've got lots of X's. <laughs> the effect of having Sing AI to hand all the time is like having somebody who can see in your pocket. 34-year-old man with a beard wearing a hat looking happy. <laughs> there is so much more that I can do now that I couldn't before. You've grown up. I used to be nine. I think seeing AI really is a huge technological step down the road, and I hope that we can continue down a road like this for many years to come. So that was the end of the video, so hopefully most people could hear that, but if not, um, we'll go over a little bit more about what the video contains so you won't be missing any information. Thank you. Yes, it's funny. Listening to silence for three minutes feels like a really long time. So thank you. Thank you for bearing with us while, you know, we have some of these technical difficulties. But absolutely. I, this video just showed one of the users and it was the story of, you know, his daily routine and how he's using seeing AI. But I'm going to assume that, you know, there are some of you who will not have seen that. So I'm going to go over some of that um, anyway. So if you're not familiar with seeing AI, it's a mobile app for iPhones and iPads. And when you open it, there are a series of what we call channels along the bottom, different channels for different tasks. When we're actually making this, our initial idea was that, you know, 
the AI would intelligently know exactly what you wanted and give you all the right information there and then. But what we found is actually by having the user in control and selecting what they're interested in, we can craft the experience to give you just the right information, the right experience. So along the bottom, you have these channels. And with voiceover, you swipe up and down to change between channels. Some of those are short text and document for reading. You also can identify products and people and have access to some of the new AI for understanding scenes. We also have a light detector and color recognizer, which um, a, a lot of users asked for. And so some people have actually called this a bit of a Swiss army knife. It brings together a whole bunch of tools which customers have told us they find useful, all into one camera-based app. And what's really cool is that different users find different ways to integrate this into their life. For reading text, maybe someone uses it to sort out a pile of mail and to understand which is mine and which is for other family members. And then once you open that envelope, maybe you'll use a document reader to get a more high-quality picture and to read it with formatting. And that just lets you have something you can keep, something you can share. When you have identical products in your kitchen, you might want to find what the barcode is. However, finding the barcode can be challenging. You know, with a box, you've got the different sides it can be on. So seeing AI provides an audio barcode recognizer, which beeps to let you know when you're getting close to the barcode, and a currency recognizer to identify those currency bills, which all feel the same. And finally, we have personal identification. You can actually teach, teach it to recognize people that you know. One of our users told us how he uses this in a school to recognize children as they enter the classroom. And I thought that was a unique idea. Actually, about face recognition, a funny story. Before we added the currency recognition, there were some users who had actually taught it to recognize the faces of presidents on banknotes. That's really creative. So here you have these different channels for different tasks you might want to do. And in the top left, you have a menu which gives you access to settings and more functionality, including browsing photos already on your phone. So you can get the same kind of information about other photos that you've already taken. It helps you relive some of those memories. Even though the descriptions are not always that accurate, the AI is still getting better. It sometimes is just enough information to let you know what there is. So I recently had a family member's birthday, and when I wanted to share those, I was able to go through seeing AI to see, oh, on this date with this number of people, with this text in the background, it kind of gave me enough to be able to sort out those photos. And finally, we recognize photos from other apps, for example, Twitter or WhatsApp. WhatsApp, a particular favor of mine, because I'm in a number of groups with family, friends, and so forth. And often people are sharing photos of um, events. So basically, the details of the event are in an image. So I like to be able to share that with Seeing AI and to read the description there. I hope many of you already use Seeing AI, but for those of you for whom this is new, that's just a brief overview of some of the features. And if you're not using it, you can just for seeing a, search for Seeing AI in the App Store. So now let's take a look at some of the new features we've been adding over the past year. When we came to convention last summer, we had recently released the Explore by Touch feature. This lets you take a photo or one from your gallery 
and then move your finger over the photo and hear where different objects are located. Interestingly, heard from some students and their teachers about how they were using this to teach spatial awareness. The world is 3D, but when you take a photo, it kind of squashes it into this 2D rectangle. And with this feature, they were able to move their finger and say, hey, this is on the left and the right. Oh, and basically you can also get a top-down view because things that are further away appear smaller and higher up. So if you have chairs around a table, you can actually feel higher up the the chairs that are on the other side of the table, just as an example. So again, that was interesting. And I just love hearing these stories. So that was the beginning of last summer. So now we're going to go through some of the features in the past year. And if this was a movie, I can never imagine you see the clocks moving forwards really, really quickly and some dramatic music and, you know, maybe the calendar fluttering in the wind. I'm not going to try any of that right now. So let's fast forward a little bit to September. That's when iOS 13 came out. And we were interested to see what are the new capabilities that we can take advantage of to bring new features to our customers. With iOS 13, we started adding Siri shortcut support in Seeing AI. What this means is that you have an easier way to be able to launch Seeing AI into a particular channel. I'm not going to do a live demo here for various technical reasons, but if you were to go into the menu and choose settings, then you can configure Siri shortcuts. This is within Seeing AI settings. So what you can do here is you can select which channels you want to shortcut for, and you can type in some text. For example, you might say for a currency shortcut, I'm going to type in the text, how much is this? For the color channel, it might be, what color is this? Now from any app or the home screen, you can just press that home button and say, what color is this? It'll launch straight into seeing AI, straight into the color channel and start telling you colors. I think Siri is very powerful. While the touchscreen is convenient in so many cases, for some users, having their speech input is a nice alternative in certain cases. Also new in iOS 13 was dark mode support. On the Seeing AI team, we decided to take advantage of dark mode and integrate it throughout Seeing AI. We heard from people who are light sensitive that actually they prefer to have dark mode on all the time so that you're seeing light text on dark background. And so we did work to make sure that when that setting is enabled, Seeing AI uses different colors which respect that setting. So Let's move forward from September to towards the end of the year. The next thing we were doing is we wanted to get Seeing AI into the hands of more and more customers. So there's an event, which is the UN's Day of People with Disabilities in December. And that's when we added five more languages to Seeing AI. Since we launched the product, there were a number of requests to be able to have Seeing AI localized in this language or the other. So we went through and we looked at the data and saw where are most people using Seeing AI and which languages should we support. And we landed on French and German, Spanish, Dutch, and Japanese. We got some really good feedback about this from people in those countries. They just really enjoyed being able to use it in, they could already use it in English, but having it in their own language was very helpful too. And so it wasn't just putting it, translating it to the languages, there was also a case of making sure we could recognize the local currencies. And so we added support for Japanese yen and also recognized local products. 
On a similar note, we also added a button to the short text channel, which allows you to recognize text, even if it's not in your app language. So you might have the app in English or French, but then, so just checking if we can mute if everyone is muted. But yeah, so if you have the app in, let's say, English or French, and you want to recognize German writing, then you can use this button. And we support, I forget the exact number, but in the region of 20 languages, depending on your phone. Some of the stories we heard back there were about people who were taking classes to learn a second language or were going on a holiday. And so it was really useful in those specific circumstances. We continue this on Global Accessibility Awareness Day in May. We added Italian support as well. And that brings us to now. So one of the features we'll be releasing actually in the next few days, probably in the next week, it depends on some engineering um, timelines and also the App Store reviews, but we're releasing version 3.5 of Seeing AI. And this is going to have an increased field of view when you're scanning products. We added this for documents a few months ago so that you could use document scanners like uh, the draft stand or the stand scan. Um, can't say that, scan stand. And now we're adding that wider field of view for products as well. What this means is that it'll be easier to spot barcodes even when they're outside the field of with the current field of view of the camera. It's going to be a bit wider, basically. We're also going to be increasing, read, um, improving readability. So we talked to a number of low vision users. And of course, this is a, a broad spectrum from blind to totally sighted, different people with different sight conditions, different preferences, different OS settings on. Some people have high contrast or reduced transparency, or, you know, there's so many settings you can tweak in iOS. So we talked to a variety of users and went through the entire app to see how do we make it more readable. So in some places, we reduced the transparency. We changed which colors we're using, made sure that the colors were not only high contrast, but that that worked regardless of what settings you were using. We also made a few tweaks for iPads as well. So that's going to be coming out any day now. And then we're going to continue that work actually over the summer. So we're going to keep improving the visual experience for different types of low vision users. And depending how the feedback is on this wider field of view, it's something we're considering adding to short text and across the app as well. As we look forward, some of the things we're looking at include iOS 14 support. So we're, you know, our engineers are hard at work looking at what are the new improvements we can add there as well. Can't talk too much about that. We're still in the development stages there, but that's something exciting to look forward to. So as we think about what's next, really, of course, I can't tell you exactly what features we're working on because timelines change, feature sets change. But I wanted to share with you some of the general thinking that we have as a team. And at Microsoft, we have this phrase, design for one, extend to many. And this is an acknowledgement that often this blind community and people with disabilities all up are often really early adopters of advanced technology. I mentioned ACB radio right at the beginning and how I was listening to that in the early 2000s, many years before podcasts became a thing. And of course, podcasts are all the rage now. Talking books, you know, Audible is all the rage now, but I think it was the 70s when talking books for the blind were first introduced, somewhere around there. And we have the Kurzweil reading machine from the 70s as well, which introduced flatbed scanning, 
and text-to-speech, OCR, many of the things which are in every app today. And I could keep going on with different examples like this, where technologies which were originally created to empower people with disabilities later go on just to become part of the mainstream. And I'm always telling people at Microsoft this. I'm saying we're seeing AI. We're going to work with our community. We're going to find out where are the pain points, where are the ways that we can leverage the latest technologies from all across Microsoft and also from academic partners around the world. And how do we take those advanced technologies, some of those still very much in the lab, how do we take those, talk to our community, and together, put those together to create a new experience which can empower you to perform some new task, to provide even greater independence or convenience? And so as we look to think, what are the new features, what are the new things we can do, that's very much our mindset. Talk to our community talk to the scientists and engineers across Microsoft, and then put that together. So we really do want to hear from you. We're going to have a Q&A in a while, so start thinking. But you can also email us anytime, seeingai at microsoft.com, or use the hashtag seeingai on Twitter, and we monitor that too. So looking to the future, there's so many new technologies coming up. I can't go into specifics, but we're monitoring what's new in artificial intelligence, in augmented reality, internet of things. If you're, you know, follow the tech press, these are many of the buzzwords. And we're definitely looking at each of these, looking at spatial audio. That's another really exciting one. And you just heard about Soundscape. So they're doing some really, really creative work there. So going to pause for a moment and open this up for more discussions and questions. I could definitely go and talk on um, more for another you know, half an hour, let's say, but um, want to hear from you, want to have a bit of interaction, a bit of discussion, and then, depending how things go, can go into more details of any of the aspects of our work. We asked for some questions in advance, and we always get those emails. So, Michaela, you've been going through the emails and so forth and and have picked out a few of the most common questions, right? Yes, um, we have some definite trends when we're uh, going through those and listening. So in case that helps answer some of your questions while you're thinking about them, writing them down, doing the hand raising, um, we'll go through a couple of those first to answer some of the common ones and then um, open it up to hear more from everybody here. So first question, um, what are your thoughts on a potential seeing AI app for Android? Oh, wow, you had to do that one first. Yep, this is a very common, <laughs> this is a really common question we have been getting ever since we launched. And I want to share some of the thinking. Okay, so, so as a small team within Microsoft, we really think, where do we put our time and energy? And in the beginning, it was very much that our customers were telling us that what we really want is an iPhone app, because this can get out to, especially in the US, uh, the majority of blind and low vision users. But over time, we've been hearing a lot of demand for Android. And we want to just acknowledge that we hear loud and clear. But as a small team, we really have to think, hmm, are we going to have a pause on some of the new innovation and research that we're doing and then make this available to even more people on Android? And that's very tempting. Or uh, when is the right time for that? So we don't have any plans right now for Android, but we hear that feedback super, super loud and clear. And we're always thinking about, okay, when is the right time to do that? What is the right way in which we can make sure this 
benefit gets to more people, seeing AI and the new features we're working on get to more people, but at the same time, make sure that we continue to innovate and continue to bring some of this research to our community. So, yeah, that's some of the thinking. Um, unfortunately, I can't say, hey, we've already made an Android app and ta-da, here it is. Um, alas, no, but yeah, yeah let's see what's like next. That. <laughs> I would love hey. to see ta-da, there it is. <laughs> um, yeah, magic wands. Oh, yeah, next okay. question. <laughs> you could make a magic wand, that would be great. Um, so um, you spoke some to the language expansions that we've been doing over the past year. But one of the common questions and suggestions and asks that we get is, um, what about even more languages and what about even more currencies? So if you could share some of your thinking on that. Absolutely. Yeah, we get that question a lot. And there are just so many languages that we get requests for. So when we were looking at the initial expansion, we thought, okay, because it's not just a case of translating the strings, we go deep to make sure there's a good user experience in whichever country we launch in. So we looked at the data and we thought, which countries are there most users in? Which languages are people speaking? And where is the biggest gap? So sometimes, like Japan, there's a relatively low number of people speaking English, so there's a huge opportunity there. And we just got a lot of good feedback from Japan after launching there. So as we look to more languages, that's very much our lens to think where we can, where can we have the biggest impact so that we can get this to even more users. And we have at least two more languages coming up in the upcoming month later in this year. So that's going to be very exciting for those countries. And then the other aspect of this, yes, is currency. So both for countries where we're already launched and whenever we go to a new language such country, we want to make sure that we can also do things like recognize products and currencies in that market. It's interesting to think about how we add a new currency, actually. So the way a lot of this AI works is, especially photo-based AI, is we take thousands of photos of something to be able to recognize it. And you want to be able to recognize something in different lighting conditions, in different orientations. You want to recognize the note, which is pristine, brand new, the one that's folded in half, the one that's crumpled, the one in your hand, the one on the table, the one mostly covered in shadows. So that's some of the thinking behind um, how we trade currency recognition. And so we are sort of working one by one with partners in local countries. So I think some of the most requested ones are definitely Australia and New Zealand dollars. And we're always looking at, okay, how do we take those thousands of photos how do we get the currencies to test? A little bit challenging in the current situation, but hopefully this will be behind us soon. So that's a long answer to the question of recognizing more languages, more currencies, uh, supporting more languages, I should say. So, yeah. Great. Um, another common theme that we see are people asking for what are your thoughts on wearables? Oh, wow. That's a good one. This really excites me. The idea here is, you know, this technology like seeing AI what if you could just use this without having to hold something? Now, I know some of our users have lanyards around their necks with little pouches to put the phone in, and that's okay, but it'd be kind of cool to have some better hands-free wearable experience. We've actually had a whole variety of different sort of Frankenstein experiments in our lab. 
which sort of have gone from the very first one, which was just a smartphone strapped to your forehead, all the way through to different types of pairs of glasses, different types of cameras at different orientations, different circuit boards around the place. And what we really realize is we want something which is broadly available at a, re- at a really affordable price point. And we want something which can be used in a variety of scenarios for a variety of tasks with good support and with longevity. So as we're looking to the future of seeing AI and some of the next generation technologies that we're collaborating with scientists on, it should be working with those too. And so when it comes to a wearable, I've just listed a whole bunch of factors we're thinking about. We don't have a product today, actually, you know, nothing planned, but we're definitely looking at industry, talking to partners and thinking, what could that look like? So it's really, really exciting to think about that. And it's been my dream ever since, you know, decades that, you know, there would be this wearable, just put it on, forget about it, really good battery life. And I really hope that we get there one of these days, um, not seeing the right combination of things right now. But it's exciting times ahead for sure. Agreed. Um, I see a lot of hands starting to raise in the audience. So I'll keep it to one more of our frequently asked questions and then turn it over to our awesome Zoom hosts to to start calling and unmuting and doing all their fancy Zoom magic. Um, but the last question that I'll ask from our from our list of frequently asked emails is um, one of one of the formats of questions we get a lot is like, can you give me feedback? Feature X, or can you give me this feature to count sheep? Can you give me a feature to um, do whatever? So, if you have a general answer to that format of question, oh, three point six will have counting sheep for sure. Uh, <laughs> no, okay. So, but seriously, yes, there's just so many different questions, and this is where please, please email seeingai at microsoft.com. We'd love to hear your feature requests, and you know, they're just new things we're learning all the time. Um, We'd never, actually, I'm not going to go to specific examples because part of the thing here is that everyone has their own story and their very own feature that they want. So please keep those coming. And we add them to the list. And every so often our team meets and goes through all of those and has a look, you know, what are the trends? What are the new things that people are asking for? And sometimes those things aren't possible, but we come back to them maybe the next year and the technology has advanced sufficiently that we actually think, aha, uh-huh, actually now we can go back to that thing that, you know, so many people asked for a year ago and it's possible now. So uh, we do try to respond and have that interactive discussion. Um, but we can do that some of that here. And actually, if you email us, also let us know if you'd be interested in participating in some sessions we're planning to hold over voice calls over the internet. The idea here was that As we go to summer convention, I mentioned at the beginning that one of my favorite aspects is just walking the corridor, going to the parties, having those chance encounters, and learning from you guys. So we're going to collect a list of people who are interested just to chat to us. And in small groups, I know that I think we're 150 online plus a bunch on ACB radio. We're not going to be able to talk to everyone here. But in those small groups, hope to have more interactive discussions about, you know, what is it that you wish seeing AI could do? Definitely want to do that. Do email us. But for now, let's look at these raised hands. Okay. William? When I'm on the uh, 
on the app. I can uh, go to Siri with this new upgrade and ask it to tell me a color or something like that. Is that, am I clear on that? Yeah. So this is a way that you can use Siri to launch Seeing AI. So you've always been able to say, open Seeing AI, and it would open the app. And then you would use the channel switcher to move to the channel of your interest. Right. However, with the shortcuts, what it lets you do, and you could you always hook the shortcuts together with other actions, but it lets you say something like, you know, how much is this? And it would launch you straight into the currency channel. So for some, it's just an efficiency. For some users with dexterity issues, we actually hear that it's their preferred way of changing channels because they find the swiping on the touchscreen a bit challenging. So, you know, different ways of using this for different users. Does that answer your question, William? Yes, thank you. Awesome. Terry, one of the wonderful uses for seeing AI for me is using it to read the computer monitor when uh, JAWS or my screen reader crashes. Is there a possibility of developing a channel that is more sensitive to the appearance of the um, monitors and be it whatever the the, light, the lit background of monitors to help get more precision and also to uh, zoom out and, and broaden the focus to read more of a monitor. And I also want to applaud you on the broadening focus with the barcode bar recognition. I would strongly support it with um, the uh, – seeing it with the quick read as well. Thank you. Thanks, Terry. Yeah, that's useful to know. So reading computer screens, yes, that's another one we hear from people a lot. And, you know, one of the common ones is the BitLocker prompt. If you're in a corporate environment, we have people, "Ah, it wants me to enter my PIN again. And like you mentioned, if your screen reader of choice happens to stop working, I've actually used it during Windows setup and, you know, various other times. So you talked about, you know, could we do something special for screens? And that's an interesting one. We've definitely done a bit of research into this, like also working with appliances is something we hear a lot about. And it's sort of similar. You have these LCD screens that you want to interact with. The other thing to think about here, and I'm just thinking on the spot, is there is also some work in academia about can we actually recognize elements of the screen, say, for inaccessible apps? So, you know, maybe this is something that starts in seeing AI, but again, it might not always be in this app, but uh, just other technology in general. So I'm very excited as a blind person that one day will we have screen readers that can just recognize the screen, even if they weren't developed with accessibility in mind. Okay, uh, Paul Hunt. Yes, I love the barcode reader, and I use it a lot for getting products. And when the instructions for a product are available, it's wonderful. When they're not, however, what is the best form, uh, best feature to use? Is it better to use the uh, the uh, document, or it's better to use quick text for instructions? Uh, in other words, how long does the document be before it should be? Uh, you should use the, the document, and, and or as opposed to the quick text. That makes sense. That does make sense. Um, how long is a document? That, <laughs> okay. Now, so the way I think about this is: Do you want to glance at something, or do you want to 
spend the time to frame a really good picture and have something that you're going to review in detail. So when we're talking about, say, a microwave meal, I very much think that you want to glance at it, and I would use the short text. So it's not really about the length of the text. It's about, you know, the quick interaction. And we're actually going to be making some changes to sort of make this more apparent. But I'd maybe go from the product channel of short text and then use that to read the back of the product. And yes, recognizing more products, that's something we're always working on. So we're reaching out to more manufacturers, more retailers to find out how can we have those cooking instructions and other details, ingredients, nutritional facts available for more and more products. Who else do we have with the house? Okay, we have Sean Thiel. So um, two things. One, to put Android development into some perspective, I've been watching YouTube lately and learned that there are phones costing anywhere from $15 to over $1,000 from any number of companies. So trying to develop for all of those would be difficult. My question is, if you are scanning a document in particular, um, it is not clear to me and has not been what what of the document is recognized on the phone and what is sent server side? How do I know where my document or my short text is going if I'm if I'm wanting to scan like mail, which I don't know whether it's going to be sensitive? Can you provide clarity on this? Because this has been a point of confusion for me for many years now. Thank you. Oh, great. I, I'm so glad you asked. That is a good question around privacy. So let me answer this in two halves. So The first is what happens on device. We try to do as much as possible, keep it on your device. But let me just say that even if it goes to the cloud, we are not keeping any of your photos. We are not keeping your documents. We are not storing this. We're not saving this. No human is looking at this. And if that changes in the future, we're going to be super, super explicit about that. We, If we ever start keeping any of this for improving quality, for example, we will make sure that you know exactly what is kept. But right now, everything that goes to the cloud is deleted. It's just used to recognize and give you the information back. So I want to be clear on that as the first part. When we think about the second part, which was, okay, if you're just curious and, you know, you want to know about internet usage, then a rule of thumb is if it plays the little processing sound, then it's going to the internet. So short text, color, light, currency, these things and there might be more, but those ones are all happening on your phone. So if you don't know what's in a document, you might use short text just to have a quick glance, see what does it say, who's it from, is this something I want to spend more time on? But then, yes, document processing, you're going to hear that music, you're going to see the word processing, and it's going to go to the cloud, and then be deleted, of course, and the recognized document is going to come back. But yeah, thank you for raising that question. Okay, Sharon Howerton couple of things I, I wanted to say. I love seeing AI, and I get a, a real kick out of the uh, the light detector because it sounds like musical notes. It's very cute. But I had a I don't read a whole lot of newsletters, but I happened to read the Apple Viz for this month, and it was talking about a similar you know scan uh, scanning app and Vision AI, and I thought that was the same as seeing AI. But to be honest, I don't. I, that's one question I had, and if if it's not, I think seeing AI is a lot better personally, um, just from having used it a few days. But that was all I wanted to know. Thanks. Cool. So first of all, um, I know we should have competition. We should have prizes for the person who can compose the best music out of the light channel. 
But, okay, on your more serious point, on your, uh, sorry, yes, that was about other apps and the differences. And yes, so Seeing AI is the name of uh, the app that we make at Microsoft. And that's sort of our research project to look at how do we bring the latest emerging technologies to the blind community to solve new and interesting problems. However, what I'm really excited by is that there are other apps doing this now. So when I started this some years ago, it was very much as a blind guy to solve my own problems because there was nothing like this out there. And actually, I'm so excited that there are other people trying this. And as new people try different things, they're going to try it in different ways. They're going to have new ideas. And like say, let a million flowers bloom because I'm really excited that different people will try things in different ways and they'll all have their own pros and cons and then consumers can decide. So for me, it's very much with seeing AI, how do we bring the latest technology that people at Microsoft are developing for whatever purpose or in actual fact, like I said, extend to one, sorry, designed for one extent to many. It's very much how do we actually take those technologies which have no purpose and find purposes. Sometimes it's that way around, which is curious as well. So that's very much our thought process at Seeing AI. And so happy that this technology, you see it in screen readers now. Many screen readers are now having this built right in. And that's so cool because it's going to bring more convenience and just unlock more doors. So um, I look forward to even more innovations from everyone in the future. Okay, Petra, you should have a message to unmute. So I also use AI, uh, seeing AI frequently, and I, I really appreciate the problems that it's solving for me. But you mentioned something early on when you were introducing the app about initially thinking about designing the app in a way where it would just automatically recognize things in your surroundings and describe that for you, but giving that granularity of the um, channels at the bottom uh, seem like the best way to go for consumers. I actually would really be attracted to an option where I could just sort of default to a general scan and it would describe things either in my environment or if there was a plaque with some text on it, it would read it for me. Is there any possibility of uh, creating a channel that I could default to that would sort of generally um, investigate my environment and announce things for me? Cool. Okay, that's good feedback. And if you wouldn't mind, please drop us an email so we have a way to get back in touch if we have more questions. And that's certainly we can something we can consider doing. So to talk a little bit more about some of the challenges and interesting things here is we often see in other apps and other parts of technology where you try to make these intelligent choices. For example, now I'm not going to pick on any one example, but in history, there are some places that's gone really well and sometimes gone really bad. But if you have a photo of, I don't know, a family member at the park, are you really interested in knowing about the park, the signboard in the park, what the family member is wearing, who the family member is, or whether they're smiling? And these are all very interesting information that you might want a different part at different times. And we could think about using speech recognition so that you could start asking a question of the technology. So that's another avenue we've considered. So it's a good point. There's no harm in maybe we take one of our experiments and put it out there for people to try. But this, so this is some of the challenges that we could definitely make something where we choose what we think most people will want to know in such a scene. But then the reality is, if you're in the moment wanting to know something, then 
in that moment, if we choose the wrong thing, it could be super, super frustrating. And it's going to be, computer, I know best. And yeah, don't want to be in a situation like that. So that's just some of the thinking. But I really appreciate your sharing, you know, the desire to have something automatic like that. And as technology gets better, maybe that's going to be better and possible to do even better. Okay, we have Alan Lemley. Yeah, uh, thanks for all your hard work on this. Uh, whether it's your app or your various competitors, I, I know I hear that when you're scanning uh, either uh, a document or using short text with a document that has tabular data that has columns in it, that seems to be problematic for most of these apps, getting the information sorted so that it is read uh, where it makes sense. Uh, are, are y'all working on that, or is that something y'all have already mastered, or where does that fit in the game? Because uh, uh, I, I know other apps don't do it really well, and I'm wondering if that's something that's being worked on. Thanks. That's a good point. That's actually something I was talking to one of our engineers about earlier this week. So uh, to describe the problem, especially for short text, I think it exists for documents, but especially in that sort of real-time scanning situation, it's that decision about, hey, is this two columns of text where you want to read down the left, then down the right, or is this a table where you want to go left, right, left, right, left, right? And sometimes we make the wrong decision. So you might end up with a receipt where it reads all of the items and then all of the prices. And that's clearly not what you want. In that case, you want to read item price, item price. So we've got some people looking into that, not saying it's something we'll be solving anytime, you know, right around the corner, but it's something we've seen and heard about. So thank you for raising that again, Alan. And yeah, that's just a bit more explanation of why it happens. But of course, you want a solution. And Hopefully, that will be coming in its own time as well. Okay, Reginald George. Just wanted to ask if uh, there are any improvements on the horizon for the color detector, if that's even possible. I realize that's a tricky issue. And also, what about reading embossed credit cards? It seems like most of the OCR app or just yeah, uh, laminated cards like that seem to have a difficult time reading. Both good questions. Um, color detectors. So what we find, this was shocking to me as a blind person, but what we found is this really depends on your environment. And so what we find is with smartphones, you often see the color that seeing AI will tell you is generally the color that a sighted person can see on the phone screen. And this is because, I'm not going to go into the details, but basically the way cameras and smartphones work and the way lighting works is, you might have something like pink, which, you know, if you know about colors, this is a very vibrant, bright color. But you put some shadow on it and pink can look gray, which is very crazy. And so if you're putting your hand over your bright pink item, it can look gray because of the shadow of the phone and the hand. And we try to turn the torch on, but then the torch adds more light, which turns it more whitey. So what we do, what the color detector does today is recognize perceived color. And this is what color does, what a sighted person perceive this as in this particular condition. So really the challenge here for smartphone apps, not just seeing AI, is how do we go from perceived color to actual color? And the way this is done by those physical uh, color detectors that you can buy is you put it right, right next to the object. And then I believe it like shines a really bright light or something like that. I don't know about the electronics inside, but... That's the way it manages to know the color by basically excluding all other light. 
Now, you can't do that with a camera, but I'm, I've actually put out a challenge to some engineers to say, hey, beyond our team, like in the broader Microsoft, is there someone who has good ideas here? Because this is a different challenge. We'd love to be able to give accurate colors. So when you're going through your wardrobe, even if you don't have perfect lighting, but sorry, I've got a quite detailed because this is something that was fascinating to me, how different colors can suddenly look different. It's something I just never would have thought of as a blind guy. So you asked two questions and I'm just um, backtracking my brain for those color. And the other one was lesson. No, lost credit that's cool. Oh, yeah, credit, credit cards. Credit cards. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good one. We haven't really looked at that specifically. It's yeah. Let's put it on the list. Misty K. Hi. Uh, first of all, thanks so much for this panel and, and for taking uh, the time. My question, I think, sort of relates to some another question someone else asked, but it's slightly different. So obviously, one is able to, uh, you know, take a picture and share it from your camera roll, from Twitter, from whatnot. And that gives you a whole lot of information at once, uh, text, uh, what the image is, and also allows you to explore by touch. I was wondering if there is now or will be a way to um, do the same thing, but within the app itself, instead of, say, taking a picture that's already saved somewhere, you can just take a picture somehow or get information directly when you're in the app and have it give you text, have it give you um, the description of objects, explore, whatever. And um, I don't know if Scene Preview does that or not, but uh, I was just wondering how, how if you can do something like that with within the app that you can do with photo scanning, sharing. Thanks. Thank you. No, it's cool to be able to talk to you all and get some of these questions and feedback. So, again, if you are on the radio or don't get a chance to raise your hand, then also email us these questions. So, talking about multiple information at once. That's definitely something we can think about adding. We've, I'm pretty sure we've had this in different prototypes. I think the challenge here is how much time do you want to wait? So it's one of these optimization questions of, can we give you the info really quickly if we're just doing one thing? And if we want to detect everything, then it might take a little bit longer. But that's something we sometimes have discussed in the team. Yeah, let's really look at that for sure. Thank you. Linda Faust. Okay, hi. There are two questions. One of them is um, read short document versus read short text, what the difference is. And the second question is sometimes when I read short text, like a sign in the elevator or something like that, it won't pronounce things. Um, it, I don't know if it's the way I'm holding it or, or what, but sometimes like words that end in T-I-O-N aren't pronounced uh, appropriately, et cetera. So would you give me some feedback on that, please? So this might be one that we have to follow up on email more specifically, but you asked the difference when to use which. Short text should always be what you use first. And if it's like a document, like a piece of paper that you want to read more slowly with formatting, then you should go over to documents. So, but thinking about your elevator situation, we can talk more by email. However, try moving the phone different angles. Maybe you'll get a better view. Maybe it's just a case of lighting. And the challenge is if it gets one letter wrong, it's going to mispronounce the whole word. So, yeah, let's follow up by email. If you drop us a line, um, we'll be short. And if anyone emails us after this, why don't you put ACB, make sure that's in the subject, seeing AI at Microsoft.com. Then we can make sure that all the emails from this group or we can do a filter and answer those separately or whatever. Yeah, let's do that. 
Let's take, I think we have like 10 minutes. Let's take what? Two more questions and then we'll start wrapping. Okay. Deborah Armstrong. My question is about um, reading laptop screens in document mode. I would like tips for doing it more effectively. Can I adjust the brightness a different way? How can I avoid having to read my laptop keyboard? Um, What are the tips for reading laptop screens? And um, before I mute, I'd like to say I was lost in O'Hare last year. I was at the wrong end of the airport, and seeing I helped me find my gate without sighted help. So my question is about using document mode to read screens. That's such a cool story. I want to hear more, but no right now, I guess, another time, for sure, Deborah. Um, so if you're going to use, say, short text for reading the screen, it's probably the best choice. Um, and something, sorry, listen to the temperature. Something that's probably a good idea is, well, if you put, remember that the camera on the phone is in the top right corner. Now, if you put the camera in the center of your screen, and start pulling back. That's going to help make sure that your phone stays parallel because laptop screens are slanted on the whole. And as you pull back, more and more of the screen is going to get into view. And that will hopefully help you keep away from the keyboard, keep everything all straight, and hopefully that will give you a little bit better results. And like I say, while this is good for a quick glance, I do think, again, I'm speaking not just as the lead for this project, but as a blind guy, I think that the future is maybe more and more of this will be built into screen readers over time. Um, but seeing AI is still a good fallback just to get that quick glance when you don't know what's going on for sure. Yeah, if that helps. Let's take... I want to add to that one too. I've found that if you lower your brightness on your laptop a little bit, sometimes that makes it a little bit easier. Or if your brightness is way too low on your laptop screen and it's it's almost not showing, then sometimes that can cause the torch to turn on because it's trying to light it up. But because the, the screen is lit the other direction, it can kind of get confusing. So just I think adjusting the brightness on your laptop either way and see if that makes a difference depending on if it might be a little bit too low or a little bit too high. That might that might help. That's really good okay. tips. Stephanie Rude. Uh, yes. Uh, one comment. I... Um, Oftentimes, use this use the short text to read TV screens during those programs that have text that come up. My one question is a yes or no. In order to um, analyze uh, photos from, let's say, Facebook, you need to save them to your photos and then go from there. And then, lastly, I work with veterans who oftentimes, when we first introduce this, get confused when we're teaching them the channels because we start saying flick up. They said, but when you flick up, you're using the rotor and they want to flick right and left. Is there any particular reason why you chose right and left? I mean, up and down instead of right and left. Thank you. I love the second question. Well, lovely both of these. Before I answer your question, Stephanie, I'm just going to put it out there again. We have a little bit of time before we finish. I'm, if anyone has a really cool anecdote to close with, story about how you're using seeing AI in when it's really been helpful, then I'm thinking, what's the best way? I don't know if we have the chat. Um, there's not a really good way to do that because there's a whole lot of people still up here for there's questions. There's a bunch of hands still yeah. raised. Hands? Oh, let's just do more hands. Let's do, yeah. after yeah. this, let's do, say, three more. Okay, go for that. But they, these are really two really cool points. Facebook and Facebook, and I've blanked for a moment. Was it Stephanie? Michaela, can, do you remember the question? Okay, are we ready for the oh, next the person? Swiping. And the channel no, swiping up and down. Um, sorry, I, I tried oh, to talk yeah. while I was muted. Hey, sorry, guys. Uh, they're just 
Yeah, so many things going on here. So let's talk about Facebook. Unfortunately, there is no really good way of doing this. So Facebook does not let you share photos to other apps. So you can't use the recognize with seeing AI. Workarounds that customers have told us about is taking a screenshot and then you can recognize the screenshot with seeing AI or saving the photo to your camera roll and then recognizing from there. Neither are really good experiences, but unfortunately, Facebook is one of those apps where they don't want you to share the photos out, so no other solutions. So the other question was about swiping up and down. Now, this is one of my favorite ones and my least favorite ones because there's nothing we can do. But the situation here is we hear from a small number of customers who see these bright left to right icons on the screen, and they want to swipe left and right. However, when we designed Seeing AI to work with VoiceOver, the most natural way is to use the up and down swipes through the adjustable element. That's a voiceover convention. It's not something we chose. If we made each of the channels its own left-right swipe, it would mean that you're swiping and swiping. And when when you go back to take a picture, you're swiping back and back and back the other way. And so we think for the majority of users, this adjustable element, the channel switcher, works really well. However, we sometimes hear from someone who can see the screen visually, left-right, but has to use the voiceover gesture, which is up-down. So... I don't think I have a really good answer for you, but it is just voiceover will announce, swipe up or down with one finger to adjust the value. Again, that's something that voiceover gives you by default, not something we added. So hopefully that will help the people you work with to remember that gesture. Okay, we have Beth. Hey, guys. So much for this presentation. I have two quick Well, I would love to see the um, uh, wider field view for the text reading both channels the other thing is envision has a new pair of glasses with a camera and they are begging for companies to partner with them to get apps on the envision form i'm sure you know about that but i just wanted to bring it up thank you very much cool thanks for raising that and also thank you for the short text suggestion so very much we're still testing that i'm uh, really looking forward to getting that out there and just doing some last experiments, because we always want to make sure that this is not going to make it worse in any circumstances. But in general, the idea of being able to perceive more at once, and it means that you won't have to work quite as hard at lining things up and so on and so forth. In some cases, though, it means you might see too much. But that's something we're fine-tuning at the moment. Thank you very much. Daryl Hilliker. All right. Hi there. Yeah, um, I wanted to go back to the color sector uh, feature. Can you give some clarity on how we're supposed to use that? There's, there wasn't really a lot of uh, help about like if you're supposed to put it right on the clothing or have a little bit of uh, spacing by a few inches or something like that uh, it would be really useful. And my innovative question would be, how about taking a page of hard copy Braille and doing OCR and that to bring it back into digital text format? Ooh, I love the Braille question. That's definitely possible. I've seen some systems which do that. And what they actually do is each of the Braille dots creates a little shadow. So what they do is they can actually then uh, recognize each of their shadows as a dot and do back translation from Braille back into print, well, into text. So that's a really cool idea. I wonder how much of a need there is for that. But if there is one, then, you know, 
again, there's only so many things that little team can do, but I just love these ideas. I love thinking through them. This is what gets me out of bed in the morning. So thank you for that cool idea. And in a moment, maybe Michaela, I'll give a few uh, words on the color channel, but then maybe you have more ideas. In general, you don't want to be too close because you'll add a shadow. And then, of course, not too far either because you want to center the item in the field of view. So I always go like, you know, one to two feet away, maybe, you know, the distance from my hand to my elbow, that kind of distance away. And make sure you're in a well-lit area. So you don't want to be right underneath light bulb, but equally you don't want to be in a dark room because that's really going to make a difference and everything will just say gray, gray, gray. So if it's an item of clothing, sometimes what I'll do is I'll hold a hanger at arm's distance away from me in front of a window or something like that. And I think everyone comes up with their own system for that. Michaela, do you have any ideas on, you know, how are we going to use a color channel for best results? Yeah, two tips. I think the first one is that it's recognizing whatever is in the center of the screen. So whatever is directly in the middle. So whatever, try to center whatever it is that you're trying to recognize. Um, So if it's, you know, something on a table that you're not getting the color of the table, trying to keep the item centered. And then the other one is um, in settings in the app, there's a manage lighting setting. And so we try to be smart about when to turn the torch or the the flashlight on and off to help um, kind of balance out that, that lighting issue. And that's a, it's a hard problem to solve and I'm not going to pretend like it's perfect, but it's um, making sure that you have that switch on when you're trying to recognize color so that the app can turn your flashlight on and off if it thinks that it needs to be more or less bright. Um, that also might help. Okay. So maybe one more quick one. We have okay. five minutes. So yeah. Right. Let's go with Debbie Bach. Hello there. One thing I wanted to say is I'm very inspired by the ways that everybody uses seeing AI. It's given me a whole bunch of ideas and now I want to go out and try it on everything. And I want to tell you one way that it's helped me. And uh, then I got my question. So quickly, it's helped me read bus signs. I was in a condo once where they did not have, you know, raised numbering or braille for the, you know, numbers for the apartments. To my question, well, one comment is I haven't found the person description to be super accurate. Now, I realize that that's a complex thing to try to get right, and I'm sure it just probably will take time and feedback. And is there a way in the app to give feedback as to whether or not the information is accurate? That's a good one. So we're actually looking at whether we can add the ability to even correct people descriptions. We're also actually, to be honest, thinking about whether we take that out. There was a promise when we introduced that feature initially that you know, AI would be able to do so much. But then what we want to be sure is, you know, we just discussed perceived color before, but really perceived age, perceived gender. We're really looking at, you know, are these the right things we want the AI to be reporting? And maybe actually it's a balance. On the one hand, some information is better than no information. On the other hand, incorrect information is not good either. So, you know, that's actually an active discussion in our team that, we don't. We want to be respectful with any features like that. And in actual fact, do we take those out? Do we let users correct them? So, just that's an active dis- point of discussion right now. And I think you'll be seeing something in the upcoming months, either because there is no silver bullet to improve. But how do we 
get you, like you say, the ability to correct it or take it out until the technology catches up with the quality we want it to be. So, yeah, still talking about that. And thank you. I, I just love so many of these comments, feedbacks. Keep them coming by email, seeingai at microsoft.com. This has been so much fun, and I hope that a year from now we can be together in person again um, somewhere in a hotel around the USA. Okay. I need to give the ending code for those who need to leave. It is A is an alpha, 083A is an alpha. Again, A is an alpha, 083A is an alpha. And thank you. We had quite a crowd.